The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Ahoy, me man. Okay, I just, so. Um. Hey, good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Um, real quick, you can turn to Hebrews 13. If you got a Bible, if you got a smartphone with a Bible app, you could turn there as well. Hebrews chapter 13 is where we're gonna land. Um, I'm excited here. In a few weeks, we've got Baptism Sunday, and I know it was mentioned up there, but if you've made a commitment to faith in Christ, given your life to Christ, but since then have not been water baptized, I wanna challenge you to take that step. We've got a bunch of people already signed up, but if you're one of those that needs to take that step, um, we say it this way, we believe it is the only biblical next step for those who put their faith in Christ. There's all kinds of things you can do, get involved in groups, there's ways to serve, but baptism is really the biblical next step. So I want to challenge you to consider signing up February 27th and all of our gatherings. And uh, man, those days are one big party because you get to hear the stories of life change and uh, it really is awesome. So I look forward to celebrating that. I want you to be careful how you answer what I'm about to ask. But um, let me start with this. Have you ever met someone with no filter? Just raise your hands. Okay. Um, If you're online, you can raise your hands as well. Put your hand on the screen of the computer. Anyway. um, If you've ever met somebody with no filter, we chuckle because we're like, oh boy. Now, some of you don't raise your hand on this one, but some of you are like, it's me, okay. Um, I don't mean me, I mean you mean it's you, so however I need to say that. Um, When I say, have you ever met somebody with no filter, let me ask you a quick question. I would love to have somebody raise their hand and answer this for me. What does it mean when somebody has no filter? Somebody wanna, okay. Everything comes out of their mouth, okay? Probably couldn't be said a lot better than that. Exactly, everything comes out. They're, they're not thinking through what they're about to say and how that might impact those people that are listening. And, and um, we know that in some ways, those individuals are sort of dangerous, but there's also something in us that we kind of celebrate like good. At least somebody's willing to say what they're thinking, right? But the other end of the spectrum is that when you're willing to have no filter and say sort of whatever, you cause damage. And they're the kind of people that they're sometimes hilarious to be around and sometimes really dangerous to be around, right? Um, and so when you think about it, what happens is they, do, they, they stir up trouble. The definition in particular, someone who says whatever they're thinking or feeling without regard to consequences. So think about that for a second, okay? Without regard to consequences. You, you think about somebody with no filter and sometimes it's harsh words. Sometimes it's sarcastic words that have a bite to them. It's foul language. It's provocative or inappropriate talk. Um, it could be name calling or, or discouragement. And if you've ever read in the Bible, the book of Proverbs, there's all kinds of things to be said about being hot tempered, about saying whatever. And I'm just gonna give you a few here. So I'm just gonna give you a little sampling. But if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down. These are all in the book of Proverbs. In chapter 10, verse 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains their lips is prudent. Chapter 12, verse 18, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Chapter 18, verse 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and his shame. And then chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so the truth is in this conversation, we talk about speech in particular, 
It's true that every single one of us needs a filter. Now, this conversation is not something we're foreign to because there's filters all around us. How many of you drove here in a vehicle, okay, of some sort? There was probably in that vehicle, I would hope, what we sort of call an oil filter, right? Okay, there's an oil filter. You get your oil changed, they put a new filter on. I'm not a mechanic, so bear with me here because I'm gonna act like one, but there's also a fuel filter, okay, in your car. There's also an air filter or sometimes more than one air filter in your car. In your house, you probably have a furnace and inside that furnace is a filter. And if you're sitting here going, I had no idea, dear Jesus, you might wanna make a call and have your furnace checked out because you might have some problems if you've never checked your furnace filter, okay? Um, but uh in fact, even in this room, the air that comes out of the vents to keep this room warm or cool or whatever goes through a filter. So we're not unfamiliar with obviously the use of filters. And what is the purpose of the filter? Well, the basic idea in all of these contexts, including our speech is this, to keep out things that cause harm. Particles, whatever you wanna say in the oil or in the air that we breathe. Um, and, and the truth is this, our lives are no different. And, and here's what I know. There's no doubt in my mind that you and I need a life filter. So Hebrews 13, we're gonna talk about this today. It starts out in verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we navigate some scripture today, as we talk through other verses and, and, and kind of look at the whole of this picture, my prayer is that we would make a commitment, Lord, at the end of today. My prayer is that you would absolutely open every one of our hearts, God, to realize the value in how we live of using a filter. And I pray that we would walk out of here with a fresh understanding of the need for it and to increase our emotional intelligence, to increase our ability to walk wisely, to increase our ability to, to, to do those things that you desire. And as we look at Hebrews, I pray that, that the blinders over our eyes, over our hearts would be uncovered, that Jesus, we could see the way you desire. In your name we pray, amen. The writer here, and we don't know who exactly wrote Hebrews. I know we talk about in scripture a lot of the times we go, well, Paul wrote this, Peter, John, you know, different individuals. But here we don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews, but they say this, now may the God of peace. And I wanna bring this challenge to you because throughout the scriptures from old covenant to new covenant, there's this idea that if you're a follower of Christ, you have this ability to have peace in the midst of life when it goes way up and way down and everything in between that you and I can have peace. And so I encourage you, for instance, Isaiah says in the old covenant in chapter nine, verse six, he calls Jesus in, in, in prophecy, the prince of peace. Later on, after Isaiah gives us this, or gives us, gets into this picture of a suffering servant for our sins, he says that you and I are ambassadors of peace. When you look at the book of Acts in the New Testament, you have in chapter 10, Peter all of a sudden realizing that the message of Jesus is not just for Israel, but for everybody. And he goes to the Gentiles and it says that this is what he says in chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. 
you know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Why does Peter say what he says right there? It's because what he understands is when you and I can fathom a God who loves every one of us so much so that he sends Jesus to the cross to pay the price that you and I can be forgiven so that you and I can be made right as we talk about on random Sundays that you and I can have a new beginning. It's amazing when we realize that we're forgiven of our sins, what kind of peace that we can have. It's really quiet in here. I don't know if you're too tired. I know that, you know, we run on Jesus and coffee or something like that. But um, just a heads up that, that, you know, in the message today, I might get a little animated because this excites me. I might get a little animated because what I realize when the light bulb comes on is all that God has done should stir something in our hearts. All that God has done through the work of Christ on the cross, all that God has done in sending his Holy Spirit to empower us, all that God has done through his great and precious promises gives us life abundantly. That we're not called to live with a golf clap. We're not called to live just going through the motions. We're not called to live just simply attending church to check a box to get to heaven. That there's life for us. Is anybody with me today? And so I, honestly, you guys, I wanna encourage you. There's something about the truth of what God has done that even simply talking about that God has sent the Prince of Peace to give you peace when life is terrible, when turmoil could reign, when other things could take the throne. God says, no, 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 I've given you the Prince of Peace to rule in your heart every single day. So yes, I get excited about it. I've said before, absolutely, I wanna do cartwheels. I'm not gonna, but I want to. Because I do get excited about this. Talks about this Prince of Peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus. The writer of Hebrews is reminding us at the source of life that we've been given, it's found in what God did on the cross and the blood that ran down the sacrifice that was made for you and me. And so when you and I observe what we call communion or the Eucharist, it's, it's, it's remembering through a simple glass of juice or a cup of juice and a wafer, a piece of bread or whatever that, that might be, remembering the promises that you and I have been given through the work of Christ, all that God has done. And so the writer says, through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, he says it's a new covenant. If you're part of Irresistible, and maybe you're doing it online, I love that if you're in person on Mondays, Irresistible, we're talking about the work of Jesus and why it's so central to our faith and why that's what matters so much. But I love how when Jesus gathers in the upper room with the disciples during what we call Passover, do you know what Passover was? It was the remembrance from the old covenant of God's provision for the Jews getting out of Egypt. And it was the celebration annually of God's faithfulness. And it said, this shall be remembered starting today and forever because God has redeemed you out of slavery. And every year they remembered it. And Jesus, at the point of Passover, the, the, the nation of Israel has gathered in Jerusalem and they're celebrating Passover. And Jesus is in this, what we call kind of this upper room and they're celebrating Passover. And what does Jesus say? It says he gets, he gets the, the, the bread and he breaks it and he gives thanks. And what does he do? He reorients everything around where he's about to go, which is the cross. He says, take and eat. 
This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of the Passover. That's not what he says. Do this in remembrance of all that God has been. Do this in remembrance of the greatness of our God and the celebration of his faithfulness. That's not what Jesus says. He says, do this in remembrance of me. He begins to shift all of Passover into a celebration about him who can do that only God. The disciples should have crucified him right there if he was a liar. And in that moment, that's what he did. The writer of Hebrews says, now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, he establishes that new covenant. He says, that great shepherd of the sheep, as we've said in this series, it's a series called discipleship. And so when you talk about the idea of a shepherd, what does a shepherd have? Sheep, and what are sheep? Sheep follow. And I love, again, that's that picture. He's not just a, a decent shepherd or the good shepherd. The writer of Hebrews says he's a great shepherd and he's a great shepherd. He says, may that great shepherd, may God equip you with everything good. One of the great promises of our faith is that we will be equipped with everything good. The New Living Translation of these words actually says, with all that we need. And so when we, when we talk about discipleship, it's this picture of you and I becoming something different because of what God has done in Christ. He says, equip you with everything good that we may become what he desires. Why does he want that so desperately for every single one of us? To, so we can indulge ourselves in the sense of, of purpose that we have about ourselves. Why? So we can feel this peace and go, oh, that's nice. He says to equip you with everything good for doing his will. In other words, to equip us to live surrendered lives. To equip us to live in that place where when we're pulled towards vices, we, we enact the Holy Spirit by praying, God, give me the strength to walk away from this by putting the guardrails around our lives that, that we can not fall prey to those things that tear us down to equip us for everything good, for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. The writer is reminding us that you and I are on this journey of becoming more like Christ, of becoming more holy, of walking out those things that we learn that we ought to do rather than leaning into those things we ought not to do. I love again how the writer says, through Jesus Christ. Now, let me help you understand for a little bit the context of this idea of through Jesus Christ. It's reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and the gospels in the New Testament, and realizing that Jesus lives a certain way. And wow, God, how do I have that heart? And wow, God, how do I humble myself? And wow, God, like Hunter said earlier, that Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. And that's the example for your life and my life? How do I humble myself and raise others up above my own agenda? Through Jesus Christ, reading the gospels and learning about who Jesus was as he walked this earth. Through the Holy Spirit. Remember at one point with the disciples, 
Jesus says in, in John, was it 14? I must go away. But when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And, and so there's something about for you and I, this idea of not only understanding the gospels and who Jesus was, but going, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit to empower me to pull this off every day. Anybody remember, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What's the next book in the Bible? Anybody? Acts. And Acts is the acts of the church, the activity of that first century church. And what happens at the beginning of Acts? Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke was a doctor who, who, who interviewed and took notes and wrote this gospel we call Luke about the life of Jesus, his death, burial, and then resurrection. The beginning of Acts, it opens up with, again, Luke writing to this person, Theophilus, and he begins to write about Jesus. But in the beginning of Acts, Jesus is still around. He died, was buried, then he rose from the dead, which is incredible. Then he appears to the disciples and a bunch of other people. And what does he say to them in chapter one of Acts? He says, before you go, you need to be filled with power. And he's going back to what he told the disciples. You need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do something you've never done before. And he says, wait and pray. And you'll be filled with this, this dunamis, this dynamite power that, that you can do what I'm calling you to do. So then Jesus ascends into heaven and they're like, wow, this is incredible. And the angels say, he's gonna come back someday, but until then go and pray and then go be my witnesses. So in chapter two, they're in the upper room and it's during the feast of now it's Pentecost. So Passover was before Pentecost in the old covenant, the celebrations. And Pentecost was the first fruit celebration of God's faithfulness. And again, Israel had gathered for this festival and the disciples, 120 people were praying in an upper room in Acts chapter two. And it says that in that moment, that there, there, seemed, there was this blowing of a violent wind in the room and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire resting on them and they began to speak in other languages. And all of a sudden this movement pours out into the streets. Now remember, you had Jews from all over the place that spoke all kinds of languages because it was Pentecost and they would gather for this festival. And all of a sudden people are like, what is going on here? I hear the praises of God in this language and that language and this language, this is amazing. And people are marveling. And then there's always the critic. Oh, they're probably just drunk, right? That's your troll on social media. And so Peter, remember now they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up among them and preaches an amazing message. And it says there was thousands that were added that day. But what I want you to notice is the difference between the disciples in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the disciples now that we're in the book of Acts. There's something about not only understanding the gospels and going, Lord, I wanna live and be an example like Jesus was. I wanna love and, and serve and, and be generous like Jesus was. But, but this idea that you and I now, like Jesus said, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be empowered to pull this off because you can't do it by yourselves. And my prayer and my hope, and I know I'm excited today and I'm talking too fast and you want me to quit yelling and I'm not gonna. But here's the thing, for you and I to understand there is a Holy Spirit that wants to empower us to run from those things that hold us back and run towards those things that build us up. And that you and I can shine as stars, can be examples, can walk out the ambassadors we're called to be everywhere we go, every day that we live. Is anybody with me today? And so there's this picture. That isn't just you and I showing up, checking a spiritual box, giving me a golf clap and going out there and living however you want to live. Christ-centered living, 
spirit-filled living. And by the way, there's a play on words in scripture that talks about who Jesus is. And John really gives us a window into this. Heather mentioned it a couple of weeks ago in worship. John chapter one, the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word. What word? Okay, sorry, that's. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Who is John talking about? Come on, Chuck. Yes, Jesus Christ. John is talking about Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. John is saying he is the word. So we talk about getting into the gospels and reading and going, man, Lord, how do I be like you? And praying, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to pull this off and be a regular reader of scripture. Make it a habit to put truth before you daily. We cannot live without Christ as our filter. We cannot live without Christ as our filter. Because if you and I try to live with no filter, what happens? We might show up to an environment like this. We might even clap, maybe yell an amen, possibly. But without a filter, we just go out and do whatever we want. Well, how does that play out? Let me just give you a progression. First thing is, our hearts grow hard. If you come here and you, you, you hear the songs that we sing, and you're like, I don't do the songs. Weird. And we open the scriptures and you go, oh, that's nice. And wow, a good little tool for me to help me be a better boss. I'm a better leader. But it's not about transformation. We're putting ourselves in danger of our hearts growing hard. And so well, where does that lead? Well, let's continue with the progression. We live deceived and we become more deceived. If Jesus Christ and, and scripture and, and the work of the spirit is not our filter in our lives, then we do whatever we wanna do and assume it's no big deal. God's cool with this. That doesn't really matter much. We're deceived and then we become more deceived. Well, where does that go? Well, we model something dangerous to those around us. We're not modeling faith. We're modeling an indulgence. We're doing whatever we sort of want to do. And so you think about, you, you come here and you, you put on the Christian face and you find, hey, good to see you, brother. We don't say brother anymore, but anyway. We show up in an environment like this and everything's cool. But then we go home and our family's like, who are you? Because that's not who you were earlier today. We go to work. We say things, we shouldn't, we treat people a certain way. And, 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 and every now and then, I've been in the lobby at the Grove Church and I'm greeting people and saying hi and all this stuff. And somebody will look at me, oh, hey, nice to meet you. And they go, oh, I didn't know they go here. And they're not saying that as an, oh, it's good to see them. It's like, oh, I didn't know they were a church person. And however they say, I didn't know they got religion. I didn't know they were religious. I didn't know they were a Christian. I didn't know. And, and they're saying it in a way that says they're here and they're smiling, but you don't know who they are because I live next door to them. 
our hearts grow hard. We live deceived and become more deceived. And then our example is not what it ought to be to those around us. And so we model something dangerous, which then the progression is we end up reaping messes in all sorts of contexts, but then feel confused as to why. When you think about this idea of, of being a disciple, the whole point for a series like this, and I'm just gonna rewind to part one. This is only part three. But part one, the burden I have in this series is that you and I can be serious about being disciples because one of the great dangers in the world that we live in is that we're missing an opportunity to be who God has called us to be. And we, we, we kind of, can circle the wagons and make this about us. I, I happen to believe wholeheartedly that the last two years of this world where you go, this is nuts, it was an opportunity that a lot of people missed as followers of Christ. An opportunity to lay down our own agendas. An opportunity to express grace and love and servanthood, Christ-centeredness to a world that desperately needs Jesus but somehow it was really easy to make it about us. Make it about me. And I know some of you are like, I'm not coming back here because you just said that. I don't know what to tell you. There are other great churches out there. And I don't say that flippantly, but I'm telling you what I see in the gospels and what I sense through the Holy Spirit and what I read about as a, as a regular daily reader of scripture is what it looks like for you and I to lay down our lives for others, not make it about us. We've said it in our code for years, so this is not a news flash to anybody. We give up things we love for things we love even more. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. And that's not gonna change here. So when we talk about discipleship, it's like, are we really disciples? Are we really serious about following the great shepherd? Because let, let me just tell you something. It's so imperative that you and I put truth before our hearts, that you and I put truth before our eyes. It's so imperative because what we read is life-changing truth when we read scripture. What we read when we read scripture is that these pictures that you and I are set free that you and I are more than conquerors, that you and I are called out as children of God. That John 1, 12 says, yet to all we received him, to those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become children of God. And if you and I are children, then we're co-inheritors of Christ's blessing. That we're not just existing, we're not just checking a box, we're not just trying to get to heaven. That we're trying to figure out when Jesus said, I've given you life and life abundantly, that that's working itself out in our lives every day. When we live in surrender, are you with me today? That's what we're talking about. It's a radical commitment. I said last week, Jesus said, it's dying to ourselves daily. And yet you came back again this week. What are you doing? Peter said it. Peter, the disciple. Peter, the one who said, I don't know Jesus. Peter, the one who repented in brokenness at the end of John's gospel. Peter, who said, who Jesus said to him, hey, I'm not done with you. Go be filled up and be my witness. And he was amazing at it. 
Peter wrote this to you and to me. If you're taking notes, write down 2 Peter 1.3. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Everything we need. He sets us free so we can be raised up, so we can be witnesses, so we can be light shiners. Not just so we can have peace and it feels good. Not just so we receive the spirit and go, ooh, that's nice, I got the chills. No, 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 so that you and I could be the ambassadors we're called to be. I'm getting ahead of myself and there's more in this series. Let me back up a little bit. Jesus said, let he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He said it a bunch of times and then it's repeated in Revelation when John has this picture of a future that we still go, wow, this is hard to understand. If you ever read the book of Revelation in the Bible. But when Jesus says ears to hear, he's reminding us of the value of putting that truth before us in a way that, that we wanna process what he has to say and apply it to our lives. It's what I said about that word disciple that Jesus talked about, go make disciples. And we would say we're, just, we're followers of Christ. What is a disciple? The Greek word, and I know this is repetitive, methetes, what is that, what is that core word? Same as mathematics, M-A-T-H, math. The mental energy to process truth. The mental energy to process truth. It's kind of the opposite. I don't know if you go to, to bed at night and you turn the TV on, but our TV oftentimes in our room is on, my wife and I, and she has a hard time falling asleep, so she'll turn it on. But, but for me, if she's not in bed yet and I'm going to bed first, I'll put it on Sports Center. You know why? Because I can fall asleep watching Sports Center. If she comes in and wants to watch TV, we had this conversation a while ago. I'm like, hey, if you come in and you're watching TV, I, I can't have you watching certain channels because it wakes me up. My mind starts churning. So Weather Channel is one of those where I'm a weather nerd. I'm sorry, I know. It's, it's, Jim Cantori is my hero, but that doesn't mean anything to anybody. So, but um, like Weather Channel, news channels, I can't, not, you can, no science channels, like a Nat Geo or whatever, because my mind wakes up and I'm processing these weird animals that are living over here in my mind and dreaming. So I watch um, Sports Center to fall asleep and I watch HGTV, I can fall asleep, but every other channel, I can't. Some of you guys are like, I can't fall asleep, I'm gonna read the Bible so I can fall asleep. That's the opposite of what we're talking about today. Okay, just, just so you know. So I'm like, hey, did you see me last night? That's weird. Okay, no, I didn't, but anyway. You've got to put truth before you. Let me ask some questions. And again, I hope these questions challenge you. Do you know more about your favorite TV show than you do the Gospels? Do you spend more time checking the latest info on the news or scrolling social media than checking out what Peter and James and John and Paul have to say about how to live life? When was the last time your belief system was challenged by reading scripture? Because we, look, I, I know we put the reading plan out there and I wanna challenge you to commit to it, but, but if you just read it so you can check the box off, if you just read it so you can keep getting a streak like, hey, day 21, cool. If that's why you committed to the reading plan, it's, it's a great goal to read it, but there's more to it than just reading it and checking that box off. When was the last time you read scripture and you felt like it hit you between the eyes? 
Pastor Chris Hodges, he's in the South. And, but I love how he says this. If you believe what you like in the Bible, but don't believe what you don't like, it's not the Bible you trust, but yourself. There are moments for you and I, as we're faithful readers of scripture, that we read something and go, oh man, the Holy Spirit made that come alive in a way that I'm convicted. And man, I'm a gossip. Or man, I'm given over to this habit that's destroying me and that's not healthy. Or man, the way I treated my spouse earlier or yesterday or last week. There's something about when you and I read scripture that, that we need, I've said it before, you, we need to let scripture read us. And there are times where it should convict us deeply, where it should change how, what we believe, which affects then how we behave. And if that hasn't happened to you in a long time, I want you to pray a prayer to invite Jesus to wake you up. That there ought to be, and I, I describe it this way, when you look back on your Christian experience, however long or short it might be, there ought to be at some point mile markers. That you can look back and an easy one would be this. If you've been a follower of Christ for 10 plus years, you can look back and, and go somewhere back there, there, there was an experience that you had or something that you read or, or, or a conversation that helped you understand that changed something. And that's how you finally got to the point of forgiving that person. Or that's when that addiction no longer had a hold on me because I began to understand that I'm set free in Christ and I began to, to, to not only pray and invite Jesus to forgive me for it and ask him to set me free from it, but then I also put up some guardrails. Keeps me from falling prey to that. You look back and go, that's a little while ago. Or maybe it is that you took a step and said, you know what? Baptism's coming up and I gave my life to Jesus. That's that next step I gotta do. I wanna go public in front of people and say, I love Jesus declare it. It's a step, a mile marker. Then my heart is generous. When Jesus talks about the eyes of the lamp of the body and our eyes being bright, he's saying generous. How do I live generously? Sacrifice, moving kingdom forward with my life. Then you look back and go, made a commitment to do this, to sign up and volunteer for that. Maybe to give, to be generous. But over and over and over, when we look back, there ought to be moments where we're being transformed on this journey through the scripture, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the example of Jesus in the gospels. And then at the verse 21 at the end of it, going back to Hebrews 13, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. We call that in scriptures, it's a little doxology there. This, this kind of sign off moment but it's the idea of, may he be glorified not only in the heavens, but in my heart. May he be glorified not only in song together, but in my life. May his spirit awaken me in such a way that I'm walking this journey with him, becoming what he desires. Because he's my filter. When Jesus was tempted in the gospels, what did he do? Anybody? If you're online, you could type that in the chat. When Jesus was tempted in the gospels, what did he do? Yeah, I don't know who said it, but he recited scripture. 
The enemy came to him and said, if you do this, then I'll give you all this. And Jesus said, for it is written. And three times in this temptation, Jesus goes back to, well, it is written. And at one point, when the enemy even uses scripture twisted, Jesus says, yeah, but it's also written. And I, again, Timothy Keller, somebody I respect deeply, he's a pastor in New York, but he says this, think about this. If Jesus didn't think he could handle life without knowing the scriptures inside and out, what makes you think you can? If Jesus didn't think he could handle life without knowing the scriptures inside and out, what makes you think you can? And so I wanna end today and I know I need to wrap up and all that, but, but let me just bring you some challenges. Now, here's the deal. Today is about getting scripture in front of you. Next week, it's a progression in this series. We're gonna talk about the idea of applying and what it looks like to apply specifically the scripture. So today, specifically, how do I get it before me? So let me give you some thoughts. Read it daily. Read it daily. We put out a plan as a church that every year you can read through the whole Bible. This year we did it different. So we're doing it month by month because sometimes a whole year is a lot, but at a month at a time, it's a little more bite size. But the idea is if you take a day and you read three, four, sometimes five chapters, you can read through the whole Bible in a year. Make a commitment to read the scriptures daily. And I get that there it is. Well, I missed a day. Who cares? Then the next day, read a couple days worth and catch up a little bit, but make it a point to read the scriptures daily. Commit to memorizing verses. And the reason I say that is because there's something amazing about whether you're driving in traffic or you're shopping at the grocery store, you're taking a walk in your neighborhood or you're, you're hanging out trying to raise your kids that you got scripture in your head and you're able to quote it out. Meditate on it wherever you're at. Some of you need to commit to memorizing scripture like you never have because then you can meditate on it wherever you're at. Another thing, commit to environments like this and take notes. I've said it so much, but be a note taker because scripture doesn't forget you do. Paper doesn't forget you do. So if you write some things down, and then I mentioned before, one of the habits I got into early on as a follower of Christ, taking about 15 minutes during the week, every week, and reading over my notes from Sunday. And I still have stacks of yellow notepads in my garage and storage now, stacks of them, of notes I took. And I would go back 15 minutes during the week, and just kind of read through, look at the scriptures in the Bible that I'd written down, make it a habit to do that. Being a part of environments like Irresistible, it's a class we're teaching on, on Mondays. And I, can, I would encourage, you can still jump in. Last week was the intro. So, so tomorrow, seven to about 8, 15, 8.30 in person in here, or you can log in online. And you can, that's available on, on uh, our website. You can you get the link, um, but sign up for it. You're not, not too late yet. You will be after this week though. But environment, what we're gonna talk about, the gospel and the message and how we talk about our faith because you have people in droves left the church, people in droves that look at the church and have all kinds of presupposed ideas but when you and I can, can walk through what our faith is about, why it matters and the core of it, it actually opens people's hearts in an amazing way. And that's irresistible. Um, we put out every week, Let's Read the Bible podcast. Every week, you can go on our website, click on it, learn, listen. And it goes along with the reading plan. And then finally, I know I need to be done. We have group discipleship here. And we do it in the form of life groups. They meet all over in the county and different places and people's houses. And if you haven't got into one, I encourage you to consider getting into a life group. And we're always looking to, to get people connected in groups. We want you to be connected. I know I need to be done. Jesus today. 
So next week, as we talk, God, about what it means to apply scripture, I'm looking forward to it. But God, my prayer today is simply a renewed commitment to invite the life of Christ in the gospels to be who we wanna be, to invite your Holy Spirit to empower us to live it out and to be readers daily of scripture that God, not only are we reading scripture, but scripture is reading us and our lives are being transformed because of it. God, we're supposed to be called disciples, followers of Christ, but I pray it would play out in what we read that changes how we behave. God help us in your name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.